Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world, with the MD, Dr. DJ Verrett. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're joined by Tobin Author, founder and CEO of Angel MD. We're going to be talking with Tobin about startup investing. We'll talk to Tobin right after this. Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. We're talking to Chris Hansen today from Alliance Bank. Chris, tell us about your bank. DJ, thanks so much for having us. So Alliance Bank is a 95-year Texas-only bank. My office in McKinney services Collin County and surrounding counties. Our three primary niches I would identify are commercial real estate, residential real estate, and healthcare lending. And how can physicians learn more about the bank? My email address is chanson, which is C-H-A-N-S-E-N at AllianceBank.com. And check them out on the web, AllianceBank.com. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today I have the great pleasure of talking with Tobin Author, CEO of Angel MD, about angel investing. Tobin, thanks for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So for all of those out there who aren't familiar with your network, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and AngelMD? Sure. Um, AngelMD got started a number of years ago with the concept that we wanted to take early stage private investing and turn it into effectively an institutional asset class. And, and what I mean by that is I had had experience investing in private companies and in public companies. I really liked personally investing in uh, private companies. But I saw that there was an opportunity to do this more effectively and do this better. And that the world was shifting from an analog world to a much more digital world. And yet investing in companies was still the old school process. And the math of it is most angel investors and most venture capital investors are frankly not very good at it. I thought there's just a better way to do this. So we created AngelMD to kind of pull private investing into the future. And uh, we've had some success. We've got a very large network of startups on the one hand, and a large network of physician experts on the other hand, and they're the, they're the uh, experts and the, the centers, the stars of our show. My background is I spent a number of years at Starbucks Coffee, which pulled me to Seattle, obviously, still a huge coffee aficionado, but I got passionate and, and pulled into healthcare almost 20 years ago, working with physicians and hospital systems, and, uh, and that's, uh, as I mentioned, that's kind of how AngelMD came about, and we've had some fun and success but in many ways, we're, we're really just getting started with, uh, with our mission. So we had talked uh, a week or two ago on our initial introduction call, and I was, I was quite impressed by the philosophy that you laid out for Angel and D. Um, can you share that with our listeners as well? Sure. You know, the math of investing, as I've learned over the years, not only from my own experiences, but from much, much more experienced investors throughout the industry, is very clear that Money can be made in private investments, but there's a real discipline that has to, be, has to come along with that. And that's separate from, frankly, most people who invest because it's fun and, and interesting. But the math of it is we're not really interested in buying lottery tickets. And statistically, if people make 8, 10, 12 good investments over a period of time, the volatility in these private investments is going to level off and they can do quite well. In fact, they can beat the averages. In the broader world, by the way, whether that's the public markets, real estate, and other areas, most investors over the long haul 
really struggle. In fact, they don't beat the averages. They don't beat the S&P, for example. And, and so the question is, well, why would you go through all this trouble if you're not going to be better than average? That's the whole goal of activist investing. Otherwise, you might as well do what Warren Buffett advocates, and that's stick your money in an index fund and call it a day. Um, but the reason we actively invest and actively work a portfolio is to beat the averages. And so we've figured out that the way to do that, first of all, is you've got to build diversification. You've got to have a portfolio. For most people, they're not going to have the discipline, the time, the expertise to necessarily build a portfolio of individual investments. And so for those folks, funds make more sense because somebody is going to actively put together that portfolio for them. And so for the private investments, we think this is an interesting place in everybody's portfolio. They certainly don't wanna put 100% of their capital into private companies just as they shouldn't put it into any asset class. But we think this belongs alongside a diversified portfolio of other types of investments. And so that's one of the, the keys that we've learned. Now we have a, another really key mantra in this network and that's why physicians are really key in this network. And that is, we don't believe you make your money in the uh, due diligence, for example, in finding the silver bullet. In fact, we don't think that exists. You wanna make good decisions up front, but you don't just predict winners, you really build winners. And you don't build that, you don't build a winning portfolio by having two or three partners who are necessarily overseeing a portfolio. You're gonna have minimal impact on that. Instead, we believe that you leverage the wisdom of a broad network. And in our case, we've got thousands and thousands of clinicians at all of the major medical systems in the country, working with pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies. So we're really working backwards and saying, how do we build winners? And how do you do that at scale? And that's leveraging the expertise of our network. Now, physicians in our network participate in a lot of different ways. Um, really, the most limited piece is investing. Some of them invest, but most don't. Most are not investors. The capital in AngelMD, the primary capital source, comes from institutional investors, family offices, uh, funds, investment bankers. Physicians are really, they're able to invest, but they're primarily, their primary role is their expertise. You know, they've built up all this expertise, not only through medical school and residency, uh, but really practicing over the years. And so they help to refer companies, evaluate companies, and advise companies. And there's different ways we uh, incentivize them and, and, and um, compensate them for that. Uh, so that's a little bit of our philosophy. When you were talking about just a description of the company, you, you mentioned pulling investment, uh, investing into the future. With that in mind, where do you see Angel and D in the future, 10, 10 plus years down the road? What's your vision? Yeah, so the vision is, you know, first of all, COVID has kind of accelerated a lot of this because we think the world is moving digital. We think the idea of having to have meetings where you listen to entrepreneur uh, presentations, while interesting, is physically very limiting. You know, people don't have time to drive across town and sit at a breakfast meeting with, with, with crappy breakfast and listening to pitches and think that that's a way to make money. In fact, that's a good way to lose money. It's a good social event, but we think a, a more systematic way uh, to invest is looking at a broad swath of investment opportunities all across the world, by the way. I mean, the mathematical chance that the company in your backyard is going to be the next breakthrough company in their space is almost, you know, is almost zilch. And so we think the future looks like, and if you think about um, uh, mutual funds as an example, everything is scored 
and you can, you've got access to information. There's no significant information asymmetry. If I want to get information on Walmart, I can get access to that information. It's readily available. But if I want to get access to a private company today, very difficult. Very few people have access to that. So there's this huge, what we would refer to as information asymmetry out there. And as an investor, I really want to trade off of knowing I've got an advantage. So what we think the future looks like is a digital access to deal flow from all over the world. That deal flow has been scored and evaluated by experts. And so that's the starting point. And I can look at that and I can deploy capital into those investments, small amounts to large amounts. Uh, it has access to funds who, have, who are bundling those together and managing that professionally if I don't want to do individual deals. And then also being able to trade in and out of these companies. So in private companies, really there's two reasons people typically invest in public companies over private companies, if you think about it. Uh, the reason number one is because of information asymmetry. There's a belief that in public companies, I have access to better information than I do in private companies. We're working to solve for that so that you have information that's as good or better in private companies than you would in public companies. So that's solving for the first issue. The second is liquidity. When you invest in private companies, you have to plan for at least a five to seven year lockup. Now, sometimes they have earlier exits. Sometimes they have much longer exits. There's no control of that. Once you've invested, you're in it for the ride. And so if you can solve for that liquidity issue, you also now change the whole calculus. And so we expect in the future, and in fact, it's the future is coming quickly, people will be able to invest in these companies and be able to trade in and out of those positions in short order. You mentioned within your network, you have kind of the, the money side that physicians can participate in, but they're not really the, the large part of that. It's the knowledge side that physicians bring. What opportunities do you see for physicians using those skill sets, that knowledge to actually participate in these startup companies? Yeah, I think it's a great place for physicians to plug into these companies. It's just a, a place that most of them have never had familiarity with. And as I've you know, gotten to know thousands of physicians over the years, I always share that physicians, their primary asset is their expertise. It's not their practice. It's not their cash. You can replace all of those things. The expertise is irreplaceable. And so the question is, as a physician, how do I trade my time, which is my expertise, to build assets that are going to work for me 24-7, as opposed to just trading those as a consultant where it's hours for dollars? And so the way for physicians to get involved, first and foremost, is to help evaluate companies, get their voice heard. And through our system, we're building ways where physicians can, uh, over time, build equity in just evaluating companies and being a participant in, their, in our network. That's not something that's functionally ready today, but it's coming. Um, the second way is plugging in as an advisor. This is where they will directly earn equity um, from these startups. And it's a way that, first of all, it's fun. They get to be stimulated by working with fast growth companies can be challenging. So for a clinician who's come from a clinical environment, it's a whole different world. It moves, it moves quickly, but it is stimulating. It keeps physicians involved in cutting edge technology and they can earn equity in these companies and have a vested interest in those companies going well. Now, just like an investment portfolio, the math of it is most of these companies will fail, but being involved, this is where physicians can get involved in helping to build a portfolio and offset that risk by their contributions. And so whether they're advisors or even as investors, this is an opportunity to be activists as an investor and to do the things that will support that company towards success. 
You mentioned uh, the opacity of the private market and not access to a lot of information. What kind of diligence do you do into companies that you potentially invest in, given that you can't just go on Google and, and look up publicly, publicly available information on these companies? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's been a learning process and it's evolved over time and continues to evolve. Um, we do diligence in a couple of different ways. And this is also partly how we've modified our investment structure. We used to do individual issuances called syndicates. And we've backed away from doing individual syndicates for a number of reasons. One of the pragmatic reasons is there's very little um, uh, profitability in these deals and there isn't the budget to do adequate due diligence on a one-off deal. If you're putting a syndicate together of a million dollars, there's just not enough money and, um, and, and you know, excess in that to do the diligence. So the diligence ends up being very light and loose throughout the industry in these small issuances. We've instead moved towards funds for these earlier stage companies and smaller issuances. And a fund has the ability to do adequate diligence on the company. And we've, we've gotten to figure out which things we think are most important. There are investors that feel like, you know, the bragging rights are we've got a hundred page diligence report. We think that's absurd. You know, again, we're not looking for the silver bullet under the hood. We're looking for the reasonable indicators that this company has a, a chance for success. And because we're looking at so many companies, we're able to find the patterns. Here's the things that will show companies that aren't necessarily going to be effective. Here's the things that are. And, you know, when we first started out, it was just a hypothesis. But over the body of our investment work to date, it's clearly shown that the system works. Our portfolio, our fund, our first fund that we put together has had terrific results. And so starting to validate the hypothesis that we had. But bottom line is we have a check block or a checklist, and we've got a process by which we analyze these companies. And a big piece of that is leveraging the expertise of our network because we're asking people who are users of these products or prescribing these products, why would this work? Why wouldn't this work? What are the key issues? And not asking two or three physicians, but asking a whole body of physicians because we think that the statistical relevance of having two or three physician advisors is just not significant enough. They may be heavy bias built into that. Maybe, for example, they're all at Stanford, and so you've got a real bias there uh, where it may not play, what this, these products may not play out well in the middle, middle of the country markets or an academic versus private practice. So we're trying to look at the broad swath of the market and get a good cross-section of, of where this sits. In talking with other entrepreneurs and, and investment folks, one of the things that comes up quite often is the value of the people behind the company. So you have to have good technology, you have to have access to capital, but really you need to know the people in the company. Have you found that to be that important in the success of your companies as well? It is. It's always important because you're, what you're really betting on is a couple of things. Are they intellectually able to navigate through challenges? Every single company is going to have to pivot. They're going to have to iterate because A, they probably haven't completely figured out their product market fit. And so they're still adjusting to figure out what's the market for this, which means they're, you know, as, as Reed Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn, says, when you're building a startup, it's like jumping off a cliff and building the plane while you're flying down. You better build that plane by the time you hit the ground, otherwise you're going to smash. And so you've got to bank on a team that can put that plane together. The other piece of that is they've got to have the tenacity to stick through it. And, you know, they're going to go through some hard challenges. And so we're looking for a lot of that. We think, on the other hand, you know, there's this, this um, 
uh, notion in the industry that you want folks that have had multiple exits, you want to back them. That mathematically is not proven to be true. We've had a couple of different studies out there that we've um, had access to that have shown there's no statistical relevance to the person who had an exit. There's a physician in our network as a good example of that. This is a very senior uh, physician who has had very successful career as an entrepreneur. He's had six very successful exits. He's now at the, the sort of end of his career and his last company is his biggest failure. And he told me, you know, if that whole previous um, uh, success thing was, was true, my last company would have been my biggest success. And as it turns out, it's going to be my biggest failure. So here was a guy with a great track record, obviously clearly smart and had all of the characteristics on paper, but the company didn't work. And so, um, so yeah, the, the entrepreneur is important, um, but there's other factors clearly. And, and frankly, one of the factors that people probably undervalue is luck. There's got to be a little bit of luck that flows these guys' way. But, uh, you know, as investors, we can't, we can't uh, weigh luck into the equation. We've got to look at the hard and fast. So, yeah, it's idea, it's team, and the other is timing. Is the timing right? Because you can have a great idea and you can have all these characteristics in place, but if it's a year ahead of itself or two years ahead of itself, it's just not going to work. On a more nuts and bolts level, what challenges do you see in the success of startup companies? Well, there's, you know, I've actually, I'm working on a book around some of that uh, question. There's a lot that can, that can go wrong. Um, I, I think the, the first is what I'm mentioning earlier is the product market fit. If I really could point to one thing that's tripped up more companies than others, it's, it's not understanding what's the real market. And when I say the market, it's who's willing to pay uh, money for what we're doing. Now the lean startup group and, and, um, uh, some of the thinking that's come out of that, the NIH has even integrated some of this into their programs. They do a fantastic job of, of really um, learning that. Eric Ries has, has uh, published the, you know, the now famous book on that topic. I think that's the number one thing is not understanding where I'm going. It's kind of the field of dreams. People think build it and they will come. Uh, that's first and foremost. And, and frankly, the capital issue is, is non, you know, it's, in, it's not insignificant. That is to say, raising capital for many, many companies is the hardest thing they'll ever do. Um, you know, if you're an engineer or a clinician, you've built a product, that's in your wheelhouse. That comes naturally uh, to build. And so technical problems are not their biggest challenge. It's these things that, 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 um, that don't come naturally for them. I asked uh, a famous physician that most people would know. He uh, is a famous investor and entrepreneur one time. Were there patterns to companies that failed? over the course of his 40-year career. And he didn't blink an eye. He says, that's easy. It's the companies that couldn't sell. And he said, invariably, most clinically backed companies, they have a particular mindset. They have a training. And he said, when they combined the, their, their um, expertise with people that could sell, the yin and the yang, so to speak, they were extremely successful. And one of the companies he pointed to was Intuitive Surgical. And, um, you know, founded by a physician and, and had a great run. But he said that company largely was successful because of their chief marketing officer and their ability to sell product. Now, they had to have a great product, and, and you, you got to have both sides of that coin. But I think that's really a, a key we look at when these companies is can they sell their product? And if, and if the founder, the clinician, isn't the right person to do that, can they bring in the right people to offset and complement them? That's a big, big deal. 
It, it's interesting you mentioned intuitive surgical. The the rumor I heard, and I had never verified it. Maybe maybe you can, was that they ended up going out and giving away their robots to all of the teaching programs in the country, or, or a significant number of them, and that that caused people to be trained on the robots. And so when they got out into practice, they went to their hospitals and said, "Hey, where's my robot?" Because they were used to using it. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, the gentleman who is the chief marketing officer, somebody that I know and got to know quite well. And what I can tell you about this particular gentleman is whatever tactics that he employed, he's the kind of guy that could sell his own mother the shirt off of her back. And, you know, for clinicians, he's the kind of person that would drive them crazy. They'd want to take a shower after talking with them because they're pretty sure they just bought something. Um, but the reality is that company needed somebody like that. And most companies do. They need somebody who can get out there and champion the product and get people to start, you know, it's the old adage, nothing happens until somebody, somebody buys it, you know, until somebody buys something. So, um, I, you know, I'm sure he came up with all kinds of, of interesting tactics in the early days. So that's just the kind of guy he, he is. He's good at that. Have you seen in, in some of the investments you look at, I know for me, sometimes I'll, I'll see a company, it looks like a good company, but not quite something I want to invest in. And I may wait until they reach another milestone before kind of getting a better track record with the company and, and then potentially invest down the road. Have you seen that to be a reasonable strategy in, in some of these startup investments? Yeah, I think that's I think that's perfectly reasonable. You know, if you think about the the venture model, typically when an entrepreneur or a company comes in to pitch to a venture capital firm, it's a pretty binary experience. They're going to say yes or no, and then you're you're not going to hear from them again if you say no. And I've always believed that's um, that's actually missing a lot of opportunity, because to use the metaphor of fruit, fruit's not always ripe at the same time. And so a company that may come in, and I think there's something there. It's interesting. That's another reason why we build AngelMD is we want to see these companies progressing and maturing under our watch. We don't want to send them away and then read in the, you know, read in the Wall Street Journal three years later that they blew up and, and got funded by Kleiner Perkins. Heck with that. We want to see them mature and at the point where, you know, whatever they're doing meets the criteria that meets our, our thesis, we want to be able to invest. So I, I think that's absolutely appropriate. Um, you know, sometimes it means you're paying a premium to take that risk off the table but that may make sense in your particular strategy. And for us as a now running funds and, and building funds as a strategy, you know, we're absolutely looking at that. Now that said, we like the strategy of taking small positions early when we can so that we at least have our toe in the water of these companies. It keeps us connected to them, gives us access to information flow from these companies. And then we may, we may, you know, jump in bigger later. You mentioned uh, investment strategy, and I think that's something worth talking a little bit about because for me as, a, as an investor in startup companies, I, I, it took a while to kind of figure out which companies I'm interested in and what my strategy and which part of my investment pie that's actually going to fit in. But I think it, it helped me allocate capital a whole lot better at the end of the day. Um, if, if I, as a physician, am looking at AngelMD, where would you tell me I should put your company in my investment pie? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And there's, um, there's, you know, if you think about strategy, first of all, as a clinician, 
and really for all of us, <clears throat> part of our strategy is where is our expertise? And so if, you know, as a plastic surgeon, you've got a body of clinical area where you have a, you have a lot of strength. You, you're, you know, the, the pool is deep. And as you get further outside of that, it gets more and more shallow to where you're just becoming money, money at some point. And, and so if we think about this from a fund perspective, we're thinking about it a little differently. Most investors are invest, investing reactively. In other words, I'm listening to a pitch and here's three companies. I'm trying to decide if I want to put money into any of these three companies. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but we want to take as much as we can of a proactive approach. And, we're, and the way we're working to do that is to leverage our clinical advisory board to constantly stimulate discussion to say, where's the market going in the next 6, 12, 18 months? What are the key trends? And then to try to go out and proactively look for what we think are the, the best in class companies in those trends so that we're investing proactively based on a thesis. AI and radiology, for example what's going on in AI and radiology. But we're, so we're looking, that's not to say that we don't do reactive analysis and investing, we do. But as much as possible, we're looking to be proactive. But coming back to the level of expertise, you know, companies have, have always wanted to say, hey, can I, can I tell you about my company? And I'm, I'm interested, right? I always wanna learn, I'm curious. But what I tell them is it's not, I'm not the decision maker. It's our investment committee that's ultimately gonna make decision. And the investment committee is leveraging the expertise of our network. So if that company is in radiology, or if it's a company in aesthetics and plastic surgery, they're looking to see what's the feedback from our network of, of, of plastic surgeons, good, bad, and otherwise. Now they'll look at other components as a team, but my point in all of that is, part of their strategy is to take their own bias out of the mix of that. From a clinical perspective, they're looking to see what's the expertise of the clinicians? How does that weigh in on this? And then once again, not one or two, but really a broad network. And then they'll add some other elements to that. So hopefully that, that makes sense as, a, as a, just a part of our process. It's somewhat proactive, but there is a piece of it that we're, we're always trying to be um, smart reactively, of course. We're talking with Tobin Author, CEO of AngelMD. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side of the break, we'll ask Tobin his top three. Stay tuned. You went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we have the pleasure of talking with Tobin Arthur, CEO of Angel MD, about angel investing. As we do with all of our guests, we're going to ask Tobin his top three. And Tobin, for you, I'm going to ask you your top three things you would tell physicians interested in angel investing. Let's see if I can distill this down into three. First of all, I think um, you want to invest in what you know. <clears throat> and the reason you want to invest in what you know as best you can is because not just because you're going to make good decisions up front, but you're going to have the ability to influence these, these companies. And, and I'll use an example. Um, again, a, a physician I have in mind specifically taught me this years ago. He said, look, as a physician, I get asked to invest in a lot of things because people know I've got a little extra income. And there's nothing wrong with investing in real estate and oil and gas and restaurants and so on and so forth. He said, the problem is I'm just a check. I'm no different than the lawyers and the bankers and the other people writing checks into these deals. 
He says, but if I look at my healthcare portfolio over the course of a 40-year career, it's by far and away more successful than the balance of this. And the reason is, he said, I can make better decisions up front. I have an instinctive sense of the industry. But more importantly, it's what I do after the investment. He says, that's where I think most people go wrong. They focus too much on, the, on the, what happens before the investment, not enough after. Now, what does that mean afterwards? It means I help introduce them to new investors. I introduce them to new clients, people that are going to use their product. I may help them with regulatory issues, a whole variety of things to de-risk a portfolio. Now, the math of it is, the majority of these companies will still fail. That's just the math of this. There's nothing they're gonna be able to do about that. But in the areas where they can actually contribute, uh, in their areas of expertise, that's important. So number one, invest in what you know. And, and sort of that's one A and one B to that is actively support that, that particular company. Um, number two, I would say, you know, again, look at funds as, as probably the de facto option versus individual issuances. It's not to say individual investing, anything wrong with that. You've had the discipline to build a portfolio, but the vast majority of people don't. We see this time and time again. And by the way, this isn't different for physicians. It's the same thing with family offices. When they get into investing in private deals, they all say, oh, we want to do direct investing. Well, you know the math of this. Yes, yes, and we're going to do that. We want to make direct investments and build a portfolio. And 12, 18 months later, they're calling to say, you know, we probably should get into a fund because we don't have the time and the expertise to build this portfolio. So that would be second, is to look first at funds unless you truly believe you've got the discipline. And I would say the third thing, and this will seem uh, a little more generic, but it's, uh, it's always be learning. And we talk about our network as a, a community of lifelong learners. And that is there's an art and there is a science to investing. And for those of us like me, partly the reason I built this business is because I love the art and the science of this. And I've been doing this for a long time and I learn new things every day. I learn as much from my failures as I do the successes and I try to share those with our network. And I love when people are sharing with me, here's things that worked and here's what didn't work. And I think with physicians that have that intellectual curiosity, they're never going to figure out the solution 100%. None of us are, right? It's, it's, a, it's a constantly evolving body, but just that intellectual curiosity and the discipline to pursue that, listening to podcasts like this, reading books, watching programs, whatever it happens to be, I think is going to make them a better investor, full stop. Tobin, thanks for some great, some great knowledge. Uh, you know, as we've been talking, this is something I'm passionate about, and I think everything you've said is pretty much dead on. Uh, invest in something you know, look for the funds, because That'll give you the broad experience and, and the broad exposure um, and definitely learn. Uh, it's not something that you just want to say, oh, uh, if I invest here, I'm going to be the, I'm going to invest in the next Google and I'll retire in, in two years. That, that's not how this works. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I'll tell you a funny, quick little story. I got, it actually goes back to intuitive surgical. Uh, my kids are a little bit older now, but they're still young. But when our youngest was one, my wife was traveling, and I, so I took him in for his one-year checkup, and, and his pediatrician was somebody we knew well. She'd been a pediatrician for, for each of our kids, and she, uh, she shut the door when we got into the room, and she said, hey, can we talk business for a few minutes? I said, sure. She said, you know, um, when we were residents, my husband, who's a robotic surgeon, wanted to invest in uh, into this little company called Intuitive Surgical. And he wanted us to take our 401ks and invest. And I said, no way. 
We are absolutely not investing in startups. And she said, obviously the rest is history with Intuitive. And she said, I'm telling you, if I had listened to my husband, I wouldn't be seeing your kid right now. I'd be on my boat out on the ocean. And she says, not that I don't enjoy, you know, being a pediatrician, but I really enjoy being on a yacht. And she said, can you help me find the next intuitive surgical? And uh, so we had a good laugh about that. And, and, and to your point, you know, there's, there are certainly the, the next intuitive, the next Google, they're out there. But the discipline of investing is less about finding that lightning in a bottle. And it's about putting together base hits, singles, doubles, to use a, a baseball parlance. Um, and, and maybe you're lucky and you happen upon the intuitive. But if you're investing thinking you're going to, to stick with my baseball analogy, you know, hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth to work or in venture parlance, um, you know, get that one out of 10, uh, that's, that's troublesome math. And, and one of the books I recommend to every entrepreneur as well as investors is Early Exits by Basil Peters. He breaks down the math of investing. The book needs a little bit of an updating, but the principles are still sound, which is there's a lot of money to be made in base hits, doubles, and, and triples. Uh, you don't need to be swinging for the one in 10 or one in 20. Tobin, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Dr. Vera, my pleasure. We've been talking with Tobin Arthur, CEO of AngelMD, about angel investing. You're listening to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett. Until next time, make it an awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world with Dr. DJ Verrett. If you have a question or an idea for a show, send us an email at questions at askmemdpodcast.com. 